I am super excited to do this class. This is actually my favorite topic um, when it comes to floristry and flower farming. And so um, I'm really excited to be sharing it with you. I just realized I should probably grab my notes. All right. Okay, I have a question for you. If flowers only came in shades of gray, would you still grow them? No? Why not? They're ugly? <laughs> if they were edible, you would grow them? <laughs> Better yet, do you think your customers would buy the flowers if they were in shades of gray? You think so? Why? Because it contrasts with a lot of things. That's a very interesting answer. <laughs> I... Uh, have a hard time believing that my customers would buy a gray bouquet. Um, and I would like to propose to you that the reason for this is, is that the majority of the value of a flower comes from the fact that it is color, okay? Other, other factors, of course, would be scent. Um, flowers have a nice scent a lot of times, and so that's attractive. Um, a lot of times, shape has a lot to do with the value of a flower. But fundamentally, if the flower lost color, it would lose most of its value, okay? So then, my, my follow-up question for you is, if colors are so intrinsic to flowers, and therefore, by default, the floral art, don't you think that we should take some time to understand the science behind working with colors? I think so. Um, and so, that is the basis of this class. Now, a couple seasons ago, I hired two girls to help me on the farm. And we're going to call them Helper A and Helper B. <laughs> and up until the girls joined me, I thought I knew how to make a good bouquet. I thought that I was, you know, most of my bouquets were turning out pretty nice. So I thought I was getting pretty good at, you know, floristry. Um, but when I hired the girls, I realized quickly that I was depending primarily on intuition to guide my designs and not some kind of guiding principles. And so when I was faced with the truth, I realized that uh, just because you're good at making bouquets <laughs> together doesn't mean that you're good at teaching how to put bouquets together because you can't tell someone why their color combinations don't work if it's just a gut feeling. Okay, it's really hard to explain a gut feeling to someone. So it made it really hard, and we struggled a lot. <clears throat> After a full summer of working together, um, creating bouquets, Helper A was thriving. She got it. She understood intuitively um, color combinations and what worked and what didn't. I rarely had to edit her designs for her, and she naturally gravitated um, towards stuff that I was attracted to as well. Helper B was still struggling, and she rarely worked independently. I frequently had to edit her bouquets for her, and um, she gravitated towards combinations that I really was not okay with selling if I'm blunt. <laughs> but I couldn't communicate to her why it wasn't working. Um, and so 
One day we were asked to make 50 extra bouquets for a fundraiser. And so these girls had to help me pump out the 50 extra bouquets on top of what we were already making for the day. And 25 bouquets in, they announced to me that they were sapped of all creativity. And so was I. So um, we struggled. But that's when our breakthrough happened. I said to them, I said, I want you to make me the best representation of each of the four seasons. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. So you have two chances to win this competition and convince me that your bouquet represents spring the best or represents summer the best, winter or fall. And it was amazing. Just like with no effort at all, suddenly everybody was making high quality bouquets. And when I looked at it, I was like, huh, you know what the key ingredient to making these bouquets look nice was? It was the color continuity. Um, and so that's kind of where my flower um, color journey started. And um, so I went to the color wheel. And I just wanted to start with the basics. So color theory is the science of colors. It explains how colors interact with each other um, and how we perceive them. So the color wheel is our hub of understanding about color interactions. And it's broken up into primary colors, right? You learned this in like kindergarten or something. So red, yellow, and blue. And then secondary colors, which is orange, green, and violet. And then tertiary colors, which is yellow-orange, yellow-green, blue-green, blue-violet, red-violet, and red-orange. Okay, so <clears throat> the way these colors interact with each other is called color harmony. So um, back in the 1800s, there was this factory that was started for making textiles, um, big wall hangings for King Louis the Fourteenth, And um, each wall hanging took the weavers a year and a half, like a whole team of professional weavers, it took them a year and a half to complete one of these wall hangings, okay? So I can't imagine what it would be like to spend a year and a half working on this thing and then get to the end and find out that it was faded. But that's exactly what happened. So they spent a year and a half making a whole bunch of these wall hangings and then they were no good because they had faded. So obviously that was not okay. And so King Louis XIV hired a guy named Mr. Chevrel. I don't speak French, so you know that's my best interpretation. Um, and Mr. Chevrel was a chemist. He was hired to test each of the fibers of these wall hangings and see what chemical um, reaction was happening that they, they were fading so fast. And he spent years working on this, and then he came up with a discovery. And the discovery um, eventually led to his book, The Law of Simultaneous Color Contrast, in 1839. And essentially, the premise of this whole book is that he discovered that a person's perception of color is affected by the color that's closest to it. So, to illustrate, take a look at these squares. Which one's darker? The right or the left? The, the center square, sorry. 
The one on the right is darker, right? Just kidding, they're the same color. Do you see how the context just changed your perception of these squares? Okay, so this is what he's talking about. The color that's closest to this square is affecting your perception of the color. So in the case of the textile company, the threads that they were weaving weren't fading at all. It was just that the combinations of threads that they were putting next to each other were creating a look that looked faded in the end. And so <clears throat> here's another example of a rectangle, and you can see the gray gradient, right? It's going from dark to light, right? Actually, it's the same color the whole way. It's just the context of the background that's changing your perception of how you're seeing this square. So, um, I think that this is really important for us as florists to understand um, because every time you're putting one flower next to another flower, the color of that flower is interacting with the other flower and is creating your whole perception of what you're seeing in the bouquet. Okay? Um, so whether you're, you're aware that this is going on or not, here's some rules to think about. A dark color next to a light color makes them both look brighter. Okay? A dark color next to a bright color makes the bright one look brighter. A dark color next to a light color makes the light one seem lighter and the dark one darker. Warmer colors look warmer when put next to a cool color, and cool colors look cooler when next to a warm color. A bright color next to a muted color um, will look more dull when next to the bright color. Um, two colors of a similar brightness will lo look less bright when placed next to each other. Two colors of a similar hue and intensity or saturation will cause visual tension in which the colors appear to vibrate when they're close to each other. Unfortunately, I don't think our screen is projecting the colors the same as it is on my computer. Um, but if you can see what it looked like on my computer, the line where they actually touch, it, there's so much visual tension that there's actually a vibration that occurs. Um, and then colors from the same tint, warm or cool, will create a cohesive look. Okay? It's a lot of summary here, but we're going to keep going. Practically speaking, what are you, as the artist, supposed to do with this information? I think, first of all, you need to be aware of it. Okay? Um, and then you need to practice it. Practice recognizing um, the color interactions. Um, secondly, I think that it builds a strong argument for using intentional color palettes instead of just designing freehanded all the time. So when we think of a painter, um, a lot of professional painters, when they paint, they take their colors and they make color swatches, right? They paint the color on a piece of paper and then they paint another color on another piece of paper and they're putting those pieces next to each other, doing all these tests that we just summarized and seeing which brings out exactly what they're intending to see in the overall painting. And this happens before they ever put a brush on a, a stroke 
on the canvas, right? Um, and a graphic designer does the same thing. When they're designing a graphic, they're going to make little squares like the one we started with where they have colors and the colors are interacting with, with each other and they'll go, oh, I don't like this combination. We're not going to use those colors. Oh, I love this combination. This might be an option. So they put it there and then they look at another one. Oh, this is a bad option. So we're not going to use that one. This one might also work. Does it match with this one? Oh, no, it doesn't match with this one. Now we're back to, you see what I'm doing? So when you're doing with flowers, you can do the same thing, okay? Um, we can be professional artists here. Um, and so how that looks is you can take flowers and you can lay them side by side and look at how the colors are interacting with each other. If you want to get nitty gritty, um, you can take petals and layer them on top of each other and see how the different colors are interacting with each other. <clears throat> um, Another thing that's really important to do is to make um, vision boards. So um, it won't be something that you can do for every bouquet, obviously, um, because a vision board takes a lot of time. But the idea of a vision board is to take different elements of different things um, an old-fashioned way to do it would be to find magazines and take clippings of magazines and put them all together to create the overall picture of what you're trying to create um, in your piece of artwork. Um, a newer, more modern way of doing things would be go on Pinterest, right, and create a board <laughs> with all your inspiration of what things are going to look like. You're not going to have time to do that as a farmer on the daily. But what you can do is you can... Um, make some vision boards that will be kind of the theme for your year, okay? What is the inspiration that's going to guide your entire year? And this will actually guide you when you're, when you're ordering seeds. You'll look for the colors that are interacting the best together, um, and you're going to look for the things that match the theme of your overall mood board. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is a really good way to have, even before you ever have flowers, to start making it so that you have a, a continuity to your plan of how you're going to put your bouquets together. <clears throat> okay, now let's talk about the six proven color combinations that artists use um, and florists um, as well. So the first is monochromatic color schemes. So monochromatic um, color schemes uses one color. Um, it's many tints and shades and tones of one color. In floristry, a monochromatic approach gives a bouquet a very sophisticated presentation. So here's some examples of what monochromatic bouquets would look like. All right. <sighs> Complementary colors. Um, Complementary colors are visual opposites. So here is our base color. And here is the complement, right? Um, these have intense um, visual contrast. Um, sometimes you could even describe it as jarring. Um, and at farmer's market, you need to be there with a really big bang. You need to catch people's eye. And so we use um, complementary colors when we're doing farmer's market bouquets to catch people and draw them in. It became a joke between um, 
myself and my employees last year, they kept telling me, if I make a terrible bouquet, it'll sell first. And it's actually true. Um, but not that their bouquets are terrible. Um, they never make terrible bouquets. It's just that um, their version of terrible was these jarring contrasts of colors that have intense visual contrast, okay? And so, um, because on our farm, I, I really coached them to use the monochromatic and analogous color combinations. Complementary colors get knocked really hard, but it sells at farmer's market and it sells in the grocery store. So you want to be looking for complementary color, um, options. Okay, split complementary is basically a subcategory of complementary, but instead of having the base color going to its complementary, you're going to have the base color and it splits off and goes to the two colors on either side of your complement color. So this is actually more commonly used than just the two colors together. Um, <clears throat> analogous colors are colors that are beside each other on the color wheel, okay? And so um, this is a very popular color combination for modern floristry, and I have to say it's one of my favorites. This is what I gravitate to the most. Here's some examples of what um, uh, analogous color combination might look like, okay? Then we have triadic. Now, triadic... Um, it's not my favorite. Um, triadic is what's used often by old school florists. Um, and it creates, it's, it's a lot like, um, split complementary, but you can see that the, instead of it being a base color and then two on either side of the, of the complement color, each one is an equal distance from each other on the color wheel. You see how that works? Um, so you can have a jarring triadic. Um, but also if you use deep shades um, mixed with soft shades, you don't have to use the same shade even if you're in the same, like if you're doing a triad, okay? So a lot of times if you do it, combine a deep shade with a soft shade, it'll create a really pleasing look. And then there's, uh, oops, oh, yeah, we also do uh, triadic with our Farmer's market bouquets too, I guess. Um, then there's tetradic and square. So tetradic and square, I don't use. Um, and I don't know if it's used in floristry very often. Here's the thing, is in floristry, you have the rules of three fives and sevens, okay? So when you're, when you're making a bouquet, you're gonna choose flowers in groups of threes, in groups of fives, and in groups of seven. You always want it to be an odd number. And so when you have a tetradic and square um, color combination, it, it, it breaks the rules. So that's why I don't like it. Um, <clears throat> so if you're new to assembling bouquets, or if, if you're not, um, I highly recommend that you keep a color wheel mounted somewhere where you're going to be making bouquets. Okay, keep it in your line of sight so that when you're making color combinations, you're able to visualize, okay, I'm going for a complementary color, and so what are my options? Um, there's also online resources to, um, to create palettes for yourself, and I really highly recommend that you do that. Um, I'll share them at the end here. Um, so, but 
one of the main things that I want to pull out here is that you don't have to master all of this at once. This is a lot to learn. And so um, what I recommend is that you choose one. Choose your favorite, whether it's monochromatic or analogous or complementary, if you want to do complementary. Choose one, master that one, and then move on to the next one. Um, so don't try and take it in all at once. Um, I am very attracted to the monochromatic and analogous, like I said. So this year, that's my entire strategy for ordering my seeds and all of that is based on what my, um, what my color palette is within the context of being monochromatic and analogous. Okay. Um, but if you choose to go that route, you might be wondering still like, how do I decide if my seeds are going to be purple or pink or orange? Um, and that's where your skin tone could actually be the tie tiebreaker. Okay. So let me explain. Um, there's a fascinating book. It's called um, Color Me Beautiful, The Four Seasons of Color Makeup and Style. And this book is about how your undertones, that's your skin color, your hair color, and your eye color, place you in a color palette where you look and feel your best. <clears throat> so there's four color palettes, um, and the author categorizes them as the four seasons. Spring and autumn are warm undertones, and um, summer and winter are cool colors. So this concept has been transformational to a lot of people, helping them understand the rules that determine like what outfit they should wear, like what highlights their natural um, beauty and what like mutes it and leaves them looking sallow. Um, so this might seem a little bit weird, but when I read the book, I was reading it within the context of the flower farmer. Like, can we, can we draw a connection between what makes us look good and what we're attracted to? And uh, so my initial conclusion is that it does. So I'm going to illustrate this, um, but first I think it's important for you to understand the ground rules. So there's a lot here. Um, just bear with me and try to follow as we go through this. It's called Color Me Beautiful, The Four Seasons of Color, Makeup, and Style. I have it here with me. Um, if you want to see it later, I am happy to share it with you. Um, okay, so I actually want to read something to you from it um, really quick. Okay, I want you guys to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Okay, and I want you to envision the warm palette. Think of a desert pa panorama. Imagine the brown sand, the burnt orange stones, and the green cactus. Also imagine a pale green owl plant and a tawny jackrabbit hopping across the salmon tone creek bed. Now gaze upward and imagine a turquoise sky with a golden orange sunset. Those are your warm colors, okay? In contrast, the term cool should conjure up a visit to the Arctic Circle. Picture the bluish-white ice caps of a glacier, <clears throat> a flock of black and white penguins. Look at the soft blue colors of the sky and sea. Can you see the team of gray huskies sniffing the cranberry bushes? A silver-gray dusk approaches, then night descends, and the Arctic sky turns midnight blue. 
That's your color schemes. Okay? So you can open your eyes. Um, <clears throat> so, let's see here. Just a second. So you either have warm undertones or you have cool undertones. And um, so if you have the warm undertones, you're going to be complemented by the desert panorama that we imagined. If you have cool undertones, you're going to be complemented by the colors within the Arctic um, scene that we envisioned. Okay. So warm colors being autumn and, and spring, the difference between the autumn and spring palettes are that autumn color tends towards deeper hues, while springs tend toward lighter, and I'll show you some examples of that. Um, and then the same principles apply for winter and summer. So um, winter is like clear, deep colors, sometimes referred to as jewel tones, and then summer are lighter colors, more muted, often like your pastels are going to be your summer colors. Um, so if you're having a hard time imagining it right now, um, think about it this way. If you, if you look at, can I t use you as an example? Okay. So if your hair is gray or, um, you have silvery undertones, rosy pink undertones, then you're probably a cool undertone person. Okay. Um, if you have golden undertones, so I am blonde with golden undertones, then you're probably more of a warm toned person. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're going to go through some de descriptions here. Like I said, hang in, hang in here with me. Um, we're going to start with spring and my lovely sister made my graphics for me and, uh, she had the wrong notes. So we're going to go in a different order than I was planning. Um, okay, so spring. Here is a, an example of um, colors that would complement a spring, okay? A spring would have, their hair might be golden blonde, strawberry blonde, caramel copper champagne, beige blonde, those are some examples, okay? Their skin might be described as creamy, ivory, peach, beige, and golden beige. But again, coming back to the golden tones being the underlier. Um, their eyes might be blue, green, caramel, warm amber, warm hazel with gold tones, blue, green, or turquoise. Okay. And here is a bouquet that would be complementary to a spring. Okay. You can see the warm undertones in the bouquet. All right. A winter. Let's find a winter. Okay, the description of a winter. They, their hair can be jet black, brown black, Asian blue black, medium dark brown with ash highlights, silver, white, salt and pepper. Their skin would be porcelain, olive, almond, mocha, or ebony. Those are just some examples of cool undertoned people. Their eyes are mostly dark, black brown, um, or cool hazel with blue and green undertones, or charcoal. And so here's a complimentary, or a or a color palette that complements a winter, okay? They have very striking characteristics. And here is a bouquet that would match a winter's palette. If I go back, you can see that I'm using the burgundies here. I'm using um, the pink. This color pink is in the bouquet. Um, and then also 
the white and the green um, in these bouquets are typical um, typical winters. And I wish this color, this picture was clearer for you, but if you could see my friend who is getting married, um, she is a classic winter. She has the dark hair, she has the dark eyes, and the very white um, skin, the cool undertones. Okay, autumns. <laughs> um, let's look for autumn here. So their hair might be copper red, chestnut brown, brunette, anything that has golden highlights or red highlights is likely to be an autumn. Their skin tone would be golden tones, ivory, peach, golden beige, copper browns, caramel, maple, latte. Their eyes would be brown, green, warm hazel with golden brown or green gold, rarely blue, um, if ever. So the only time that it would be blue is if you have red hair. Um, and so um, that is some of the descriptors of an autumn, and these are the colors that would complement an autumn the best. So here is a bouquet that comes from the autumn palette. I'm going to switch back to the, to the palette here. You can see that I'm using the rusty oranges, I'm using the browns, um, I'm using the off-whites, all autumn colors, okay? <laughs> so, this is a lot. I really recommend that you get the book and study it out for yourself because it's hard to grasp everything in just a few minutes. But, um, don't let your brain pop yet. Let me illustrate for you now how this ties in with floristry. Um, during her second season of work, um, remember Helper B that was struggling to make bouquets? So I took some one-on-one -on -one time and I just focused on honing her floristry skills. Now, we did a little bit of an experiment and I had her make a bouquet and I chose the flowers, okay? So um, I supplied her with soft warm corals that blended perfectly with off-whites and mellow yellows to create a bright bouquet with warm undertones. The shape of the bouquet was super balanced um, and so I, I was assured that she understood the mechanics part of assembling a bouquet. Um, and so I was really, I was really pleased with the outcome. So I I told her that she would then be given a chance to reproduce the bouquets, but in the colors that she's attracted to. Okay. Um, so unlike the first bouquet, the second bouquet was a high contrast mix of bright, bold purples, cool yellows, and stark white flowers, okay? I wanna point out that mechanically speaking, she made the same exact bouquet, but she used completely different colors with a different undertone. And my gut response to that was, oh no, we can't sell that, okay? And I wanna point out that this is why I had a hard time teaching her, is because she has cool undertones. I have warm undertones. We're not speaking the same language, okay? And so what I'm attracted to, when I'm trying to teach her, she doesn't like it, you know? And when she's trying to replicate the mechanics that I'm teaching her, I'm not liking what she's making. 
There's nothing wrong with her skill set. It's how we perceive the colors. So <clears throat> the customer comes, right? We made a whole bunch of these, and I wasn't going to say anything about the bouquet. I just put it in the cooler with the rest. The first customer comes. This person is given an option. She can have the first bouquet that we made with the warm undertones, and, or she can have the purple one. Which one do you think she chose? The purple one. You guys, I was so shocked. <laughs> I was sure the bouquet was not gonna sell, and yet she wanted the purple one. Like, no hesitation at all. So, analyze this with me in the context of Color Me Beautiful. Um, <clears throat> of course, I've already been dropping hints all over the place, but I just wanna go through this to create the full picture. Based on my description of the bouquet and what you see here, <laughs> which season do you think I'm from? Does anybody have a guess? Spring. So the reason I wouldn't be autumn is because I have blue eyes and autumns don't generally have blue eyes. That's the differentiator. Um, but yeah, I'm from spring. Um, okay, so without any physical description of her, does anyone want to venture a guess of what season she might be from? Okay. I'm hearing a lot of winters. Um, let me give you some descriptors. So, um, she's an ash blonde. She has, oh, did I give you the guys the descriptors in the summer? I don't think I gave you the descriptors. Okay. We're just gonna, we're just gonna put it all out here. She's a summer, okay? <laughs> she's ash blonde, which is a descriptor of a summer, um, as opposed to a, a winter that has the striking contrast of dark hair. Hers is light. Um, ash blonde, so summers have a gray um, highlight to them as opposed to a red highlight to them in their hair. Um, so ash blonde, blue-gray eyes, porcelain skin, overall cool undertones. She's a classic summer, okay? So she was choosing colors that were um, could borderline, you know, with the description I was giving you, you could maybe assume that it was a winter, um, yeah, appropriately assume it was a winter. Um, it also fits classically with a summer. Let's see if I have the summer. Yeah, so there's, there's a summer's palette. I'm sorry about that. I totally got derailed. Um, so, does anyone want to take a guess now what my client's undertones are? She's different than my employee. We're all assuming, right, that she's cool under, she must be cool undertones, right? Let me give you some descriptors. She has dark hair, dark eyes, porcelain white skin with no warm undertones. She's a winter. And she was very drawn to that bouquet that was striking contrast of purple and cool yellows and white. Okay? So I was telling this story to a friend, and his response was, man, humans are kind of vain. <laughs> He's like, we're only attracted to stuff that makes us look good. Um, but in all seriousness, it's the truth. 
your, my hypothesis is that your undertone or season affects how you view the world. Um, it influences what you're attracted to and what you find jarring or just plain disinteresting. So I want to challenge you to test this hypothesis. Okay, there's many fun ways that you can do this. I'm going to give you a couple examples. <clears throat> Walk into a building. Okay, first you have to identify your, um, your undertone, right? Um, so again, this is the book. Read the book. It's very helpful. Um, identify your undertone. Then walk into a building and evaluate how you feel in the building. Do you feel like it's cold or sterile? Um, or do you feel like it's a relaxing environment or energizing? Okay. Once you've put a label on how it makes you feel, identify the season that it's from and see if it matches your season. Um, so for example, my friend um, gave me an example of walking into a rec center. Now, the, my friend is a warmed under, warm undertone person, <clears throat> and so he walks into a rec center. All the colors are from the winter palette, and he feels like, I'm not gonna work out here, it's cold and sterile, okay? There's another rec center a few miles down the road. It's all from, the decor is all from warm undertones. Um, and he really likes that rec center. Okay, he feels like it's inviting, it's energizing to be there. Um, so just, just play with it. Evaluate how you feel when you're in different settings and see how the undertones of the decor is, is influencing how you perceive the room. Another fun exercise, <clears throat> that my cousin and I have done is to evaluate wedding photos. Now this is super fun. Uh, yeah, criticize all our friends and their wedding choices. Um, but compare a bride's color and her style choices in comparison to our evaluation of where she fits into these four seasons. Okay, of course there's ex exceptions and there's, of course there's people who are completely misinformed about you know, where they fall in the, in the color seasons. But um, overall, when we went through and evaluated one wedding after another, we could see a trend. And that was brides always chose colors that complemented their undertone. Okay? Now, the style of the, the wedding, and I'm, I'm, I'm very much aware that this is only a hypothesis and I'm, I'm willing to debate it with you if you want to debate it with me. But I think <laughs> that um, the style of the wedding is also influenced by whether you're a cool undertones person or a warm undertones person. Now, here's the thing. Gold is what complements a warm undertone person, right? Silver is what complements a cool undertone person. So you're going to find more people who are cool undertones going for the classic look and more people who are warm undertones going for the rustic look. So just evaluate it. When you, next time you go to a wedding or you see your friend's wedding pictures, evaluate. Are they choosing colors that complement their season and is their style influenced by that? I, I think it's super fascinating. I, I really love this part of it. <clears throat> So, if you agree with my hypothesis, um, 
then I think that it changes how we not only view the world, um, but it changes our entire approach to our farm. Um, and for the first thing, it will change what you grow. Um, so the question I ask myself is, what if we stopped growing flowers just because they look pretty in a seed catalog? And what if we grew colors by intentionally naming colors that we know we like, we know go together? Um, this is a combination now of the Four Seasons principle and the um, combinations that we were talking about, mo mo uh, monochromatic analogous, all those things. Combine the two, and it will make a huge difference in how you are choosing your seeds. You're not just going to choose something because it looks pretty in the catalog, because they all look pretty in the catalog and you can't have them all, okay? But you'll find that it will make a huge difference when you go to assemble. You'll find that you use your um, flowers. Like, there's nothing that chafes more than having a whole bunch of things growing in your field that you don't like using, because that's wasted money and that's wasted time and energy. And so if you can use everything that you grow, you will be a lot happier um, and your profit margins will be a lot happier. Uh, <laughs> so that's one of the benefits to using this approach. Um, I also think that it will be helpful for um, increasing our satisfaction with our own product. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I know that many times I've made a bouquet and mechanically speaking, it's fine. It's nice, but I don't like it. Um, and I don't feel right giving a customer something that I don't like. Um, and I think that our skill set and our, our satisfaction with what we're making um, will develop more quickly when we're doing it within the context of what is our season. Um, and I also think that it will make a, a deeper impression on our community faster because they'll see consistency in how we make our bouquets, in how we develop our farm. They'll see a theme going through, and that makes an impression a lot faster than if you're just eclectic, okay? Um, <clears throat> So just as a practical example, for me as a spring, um, my farm this year, I got really brave and weeded out all the things that are not in my color palette, okay? And so um, that leaves me growing things that are corals and salmons and golden colors, warm reds and warm greens leaving aside all the things that are cool undertones. Um, for a winter, it's going to look totally different. A winter is going to go after the jewel tones, okay? A summer's garden might take on a more cool or pastel feel. So you see how, how your undertone changes completely how you're creating your garden? Um, my mom, when she was reviewing my notes, she made a comment to me and she said, doesn't that limit your market? Like, what if you're a warm undertone person and there's somebody who's a winter? Are they not gonna be, you know, attracted to your bouquet? Well, that, that
that could be a risk that you run. However, I think that if you're doing a better job of putting the bouquet together, it's the ba the balances are going to come out in the end. You know what I mean? Um, if you're, let me put it this way. If you're satisfied with your own colors, you're going to be more confident in how you arrange. Um, if you're more confident in how you arrange, you're going to have better skills. And so therefore your overall end product is going to be better. So it doesn't matter if you're leaving some people behind, um, and like that are not in your same undertones, um, because you'll be able to increase your prices faster. You'll be able to add value to your product faster um, than if you're doing something that you're struggling with. Now, I don't think that you should leave behind totally um, the options. If you have space, especially if you have space and time and energy, like knock yourself out, go do all of them. But focus on perfecting one season at a time, starting with your own and then working out. Um, it just focuses the learning curve a little bit more so that you're not overwhelmed and inundated. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and we're almost out of time. So I think I already hashed this one out. You're going to be more satisfied with your end product and your design skills are going to improve faster. You're not going to be constantly working against yourself. Um, so if you grow in all four color palettes, like I was just saying, you're going to have a wider reach, um, and you will learn to develop a, a more diverse set of skills as a florist. But I think that the key here is, is that you have to be intentional and you have to be okay with it taking you longer to become a professional. Okay. Um, so let's see here, I'm jumping through. Okay, it's gonna change how you market. Um, you have two choices, um, and I think I've kind of already um, said this, but you can primarily make bouquets from your season, and the clients who share your season will benefit from it the most, or you can le learn towards tailing, lean towards learning to tail your, your bouquets to your clients preferences. So um, I'm speaking from a perspective of someone who's had to grapple with how to measure a cu customer's preferences so that we can continue to uh, reproduce what they're most attracted to, right? Um, though I've been able to trace several patterns through things, I think the Color Me Beautiful has given me the most practical framework to work in, and that's why I'm promoting this so much. Um, so last summer, I received a phone call from a young man and he wanted flowers delivered to his girlfriend. Hoping to customize the bouquet for him, I said to him, well, what's her favorite color? Is there anything specific that you want me to add? And he said, oh, she likes turquoise. Do you have anything turquoise? And I was like, uh, no. There's no th such thing as a turquoise flower, unless it's dyed or something. Um, of course, I, I had to say it in a nice way, but <laughs> that was the baseline of my messages. We don't grow turquoise. Um, 
So I tried to help him out by giving him suggestions of colors and flowers that are available, and eventually we just settled on sunflowers. Now, I'm 90% sure that we just settled on sunflowers because that's the only name he recognized. Um, <laughs> the poor guy was so clueless. Um, but I would venture that he's not alone in this situation, right? Uh, I would venture that about half of my customers don't really know what they want when they come to me. And even fewer of them know how to communicate with me what they need, okay? And so instead of taking a stab in the dark and just making them something, um, what if I could ask my client to describe their loved one or their friend to me and use the clues in their description to guide how I'm making my bouquet? Does that make sense? So tying everything all together, we're definitely going to use the rules of the color uh, of the yeah color wheel. Um, that is like the most fundamental building blocks. But then we can use this structure to give us hints about how we're designing a bouquet for someone we don't even know and who can't choose their own. So I think it's a a, a really cool approach myself. Um, <laughs> so. I think that there's a lot of other ways that you can come to designing your bouquets, choosing how you're going to choose colors for your farm and different things like that. My hope is that this discussion um, will be a, a springboard for more discussions on um, and more intentional analysis of what we're doing. I think that in an art where we do it mostly because we love flowers, there's a lot of just freehand. Oh, I like this, so I'm going to do it. Oh, this looks pretty. We should do that. When that's not how most arts work. There's rules that guide arts. And so if we're going to be in an art and if we're going to be a professional in our art, then it's really important to at least have some sort of framework to work within. So I hope that the springboards um, some conversations and I would like to hear what your conclusions are of the matter. So if you need a, a quick recap here, these are the basic rules um, that guide all art. Uh, our monochromatic color scheme, complementary, split complementary, analogous to triadic and tre tetradic and square. I'll let you guys take a picture of that real quick. <clears throat> Um, we obviously learned that the, these rules should be the guidelines for the bouquets we design, and then we learned about Color Me Beautiful's four seasons of design. So I challenge you, identify your color palette within the four seasons. Become aware of how your undertone affects your view of the world. Learn to make bouquets from your season before attempting other seasons. And study your customers and make bouquets tailored to their season. Um, there's some tools that are available. I was planning on making a slide of that and I uh, failed to do so. So um, again, this is Color Me Beautiful by Joanne Richmond. That's where all the four seasons things come from. If you want to take a look at this, I'm happy to let you look at this after class. Um, the um, information that I pulled from the beginning of the class, how color surrounding colors affect how we perceive color that came from a course um, called color for C creatives it's put out by the future 
F-U-T-U-R, not F-U-T-U-R-E, um, The Future, and it's done by Greg Gunn. It's a course for graphic designers, but I think that, you know, the principles apply whether you're in graphic design or floral art or painting, um, color theory can be applied to any of them. If you're wanting some um, resources for how to build color palettes or even, um, so it's super fun. Um, when I was putting this together and I was trying to come up with bouquets that were examples of each of these, there is a resource out there, an online resource. It's called color.adobe.com and it's just a color wheel. But you can split it into monochromatic and complementary, like whichever color um, rule that you're wanting to work under, um, you can set it to that and then it will automatically um, have lines that will, um, wherever you move the base color, it'll move all the other colors to be like, so if I was doing an analogous and I wanted my base color to be yellow, then all my white lines would be pointing to green, yellow, and orange, okay? So if you're trying to visualize some of this stuff, it's really hard to visualize it sometimes. Um, that can be a super handy um, resource, and I'm happy to share that with you if you want to see it. It's called color.adobe.com. And then there's a gardener's color wheel. Um, another great resource where it's just a color wheel um, that's that you can take out with you to the garden and use to to practice these um, color combinations and rules too. So I am ready to take questions if anyone would like to ask a question. No questions. Everybody's confused. <laughs> Yeah, so you can change seasons. So the question was, what if you're graying? What if you, say, were dark-haired and now you're salt and pepper? You might actually change seasons. Um, so you're going to evaluate where you are now and not necessarily where you were when you were a child or a young person. Yeah. <laughs> Good question, though. The skin tone. So the question is, will it change your skin tone if your if your hair color changes or whatever? No, it won't. Um, so if you are, if you are um, in a cool undertone, you're always going to either be. Uh, summer or a winter okay so you could change between summer and winter but you couldn't go from being uh, a spring to being a winter okay because your skin tone stays the same um, so and then of course if you're if you're a spring or, or an autumn you could maybe change between those two um, but yeah yes so the question is is it the eye color that primarily differentiates um, and the answer is yes, mostly. Um, hair color has a lot to do with it, though. So um, it's helpful because an autumn can never have blue eyes. And so therefore, I can never be an autumn, right? Um, so it, it does help with being cut and dried there. Um, but in an example of being like um, a summer, so 
my my little employee that I was describing to you that's cool undertones, we get asked if we're sisters all the time, okay? We look a lot alike. However, her hair color is different than mine. She's an ash blonde, so instead of having gold highlights, she has more gray highlights to her hair. Her eyes, instead of having a warm brown ring around the iris, they're like straight gray. And those are the kinds of things that differentiate her to make her a summer instead of a spring like me. That's a really good question. So her question is, um, if you have an icy yellow color and you're trying to mix it with warm colors, um, can you can you make it basically can you make it work or do you have to just get rid of it? Um, I want to go back to this slide. These are both yellow, okay? This is a cool yellow. You see the cool undertones coming through in it? This is a warm yellow, and so like a mustard yellow, right? You're gonna see this primarily with snapdragons. The bane of my existence is yellow snapdragons. I hate them. <laughs> so um, you don't have to get rid of yellow. If you're a warm undertone, you're gonna be drawn to yellows that are this color. That doesn't mean that this color is bad, okay? Somebody who is a winter might be attracted to this color. So in my story about um, the bouquets that we made and the one was purple and yellow and white, this yellow, I hated it, okay? But it worked for the people who were cool undertones. So do you have to get rid of it altogether? No, you just have to pair it with other cool undertones and you have to market it to people who are attracted to those colors. I had a girl, so I sometimes parents send their kids to me to help me. And uh, I had this girl come and she was helping make mini bouquets for um, farmer's market. And when we do mini bouquets, I give the girls a lot of freedom because it's a very low price item and we just need to make them fast, and it gives them opportunity to practice learning to make um, bouquets, and it's not a high stakes kind of thing. So she's she made a Snapdragon bouquet, 100%, this color, so cringy, but it sold at Farmer's Market. This girl, she was definitely a cool undertones. Um, yes, well, yes, very much so. It could be blue, blue irises and stark white. It would go with this. Um, but in this case, it was just 100% these yellow. And this girl was so excited about her bouquet. You know, so that's where I'm saying that your undertone really defines what you're able to work with. If you're not able to make it work, then stop trying, okay? So if you can't make this match with what you're doing, then stop trying because you're wasting your time. Um, but if you are a person who is dead set on having something for both markets, warm undertones and cool undertones, and you have other cool things that you're growing, go ahead and add it into those things, but just keep it away from your warm bouquets. All right, I think it's time to go. 
Thanks for coming, guys. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.